This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, I mean, London is Blue podcast. Now, one of your hosts here with Sam, both on the road, both traveling for respective holidays and family festivities. But doesn't stop us, Sam, from getting in a preview pod for the Wolves match on Christmas Eve this year. That's right, the only match taking place on Christmas Eve as the Premier League trials a new idea instead of the Boxing Day festivities for Chelsea this season. It is going to be a Christmas Eve special against Wolves, and we're here to break it down for our listeners. But I just want to make sure, always doing a good time of year to check in on friends, loved ones, others. Are you doing well with the travel? Are you doing okay? Are you getting enough rest? Because the people, they're just they're concerned about you. You're writing amazing newsletters. You're doing wonderful preview pods. And we're just, we're concerned. We want to make sure you're doing okay. Now, kind as always, Dan. So it's been, it's been quite a nice change for me. I've uh, come away from Bombay and moved to a city, not moved, but basically uh, gone to a city four hours away. And my sister's in town from, from the state. So uh, she's got her best friend along. So there's a lot of like teenage giggling and watching movies. And it's a nice change from from basically where I stay. So it's nice. Lots of life back in the house, which I'm quite enjoying. So um, also cool attempts. It finally feels like winter in, in Bombay. It's always 32 degrees, 35 degrees in the, in the winter. So, you know, it doesn't really feel like Christmas. But now I wake up and I wake up with a blanket. So... It's nice. It actually feels like it's a rejuvenating aspect of the, the festive season for me. So absolutely happy. And of course, the win uh, last night did, you know, just compound that joy for me. So very grateful and uh, hoping for more. Yeah, well, and we hope that this will be a little bit of a will not be coal in the stocking, as it were, on Christmas Eve as Chelsea and Pochettino will look to build upon a good result in getting the match against Newcastle and the wonderful penalty shootout that Petrovic navigated, as well as the great performances by Mudrik in a cameo appearance. But we're going to talk about all of that and how that is going to play into this match against Wolves in the Premier League as we look to try and continue reaching our way up the table there and getting to the next rung. But before we do that, we just want to say thanks to our amazing community. Obviously, we appreciate all of you who listen to the podcast, share it with friends and loved ones. Great time, potentially, at this point of the year to share it or recommend it to somebody. You can also do that through five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can subscribe on YouTube as we look to hit 30,000 subscribers. We're getting ever closer, about 600 away. So you could be one of those people if you go there now and hit the subscription button as well as the bell icon to get notified when we drop videos on there. You can sign up for Sam's wonderful newsletter as we talked about in just a moment ago. And then you can join our wonderful Discord community if you want to get involved. It does cost a couple bucks, but it also helps support the podcast and continues giving you potentially three to four to five to maybe even six episodes on a weekly basis that you don't have to pay for. So great thing to do there. But look, Sam, we're going to dive right in. It's Wolves. Wolverhampton Wanderers, they are currently at 19 points, 13th in the Premier League. So again, it feels like because they haven't broken 20 that they are maybe further down the table than us. But it's not, there's not that much separation at the moment. Their record for 5-4-8 uh, 
on those 19 points, so 1.212 points a game. Their home record, 3-3-2, 12 points, away record, 2-1-6, 7 points. So a much better home team than an away team. 21 goals uh, for, 29 goals against, minus 8 goal difference. They're actually like right on target, though, for their expected goals for and against, 21 and 28.4. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting because I want to do something a little different is we don't necessarily talk about when we've played a team for the first time since last season. When you're not paying attention to that team, you might not realize that the cast of characters changed pretty dramatically from some of the players that they would have relied on very heavily last season who are now no longer there. And so I think I would point out that like Mateus Nunez went to Man City for 62 million euros. Ruben Neves went to Al-Halal, the Saudi Pro League. Um, and then like, probably the other two big ones would have been Connor Cody heading to Leicester. And then Raul Jimenez, who went to Fulham, who is, is finding, you know, um, some interesting tackles and, and trying some new technique there as a center forward. That would be kind of maybe some circumspect uh, decisions. But ultimately, it is a much different side than what people may remember as the cast of characters has changed for Wolves. And as we look at the fact that they are not necessarily a injury-ridden side like us. So not only are they going to get a chance to pick from mostly their full complement of players, but it's also a much different cast. It's the, uh, the off-Broadway production, maybe, of, uh, of Wolves this season. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think you should also look at the ages of the top three guys who've left. So I would say, you know, 25-year-old Matthias Nunes, uh, Ruben Neves was 26 and Nathan Collins 22. And all three, I would say, the integral part of um, the core that they were trying to build, a young core. Uh, the Portuguese guys obviously came from well-heralded clubs in Portugal. So came with a lot of technical proficiency, elevated their ability to play, play through tough situations. And losing that has, I think, hurt them. They've tried to to go out there and get players that have supplemented that and and maybe bridged the gap that eventually would have been there between what was then back there versus what it is right now. I think this list also does not have Daniel Pudence. Uh, he's also left. And uh, for the longest time, his numbers for a number 10 or an attacking midfielder were also very, very good in a very poor wolf side. So it's been a sea of change. Uh, we've also talked about um, not just rebuilding there, but also in terms of a managerial change. They've got Gary O'Neill, who was sacked from Bournemouth, and he's found his way to Wolves. And a lot of them, a lot of people expected Wolves to be basically in relegation contention. Uh, I think I was one of those guys also who felt like they could be, you know, majorly in trouble for exactly this reason. Um, and they started off with two defeats against United at Brighton. But their form book has basically just been patchy ever since. You know, the wins and defeats have come in streaks. Uh, they've lost two in a row thrice already. And they've won twice in a row just once. And in between uh, those spells was a very impressive four-game unbeaten run against Aston Villa, Manchester City, Bournemouth and Newcastle. So it's just an unpredictable side. I think they're also trying to find their feet under a new manager who brings some interesting tactical aspects uh, there's a monday night football appearance with um, Gary O'Neill where he talked about how he set his side up against Bournemouth and against Manchester City which was 
fascinating for me to watch uh, in the lead up to this this board. It was just great analysis in terms of how he wanted his side to play in in certain situations, and and how they were able to pull off two big wins. So it's an interesting side. It's a dangerous side. I I think like you've said, people haven't seen us play Wolves yet. But uh, like us, you don't know what fools you're going to get from a week-to-week basis. And I think that's what makes them dangerous. Yeah, you're either getting uh, the most vicious or most timid version of the wolf, depending upon which day you are playing them in a match. And hopefully it is more of the timid and toothless version. But we will see if that is the case. But we're going to take our very first break. And when we get back, it's all about the style of play, how wolves are setting up to try and be successful on the pitch and how that doesn't always pan out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Chess fans, we're back with another partnership through the end of the year. We got NordVPN coming at you to make sure you are safe and you're able to watch Chelsea no matter where you are traveling during the holiday season. A lot of you know I just got back from Costa Rica from Thanksgiving with the family, and guess what? I used a VPN to watch Chelsea while I was traveling. Uh, I was able to watch it on Peacock, no problems at all. So if you're traveling out of the country this holiday season, make sure to get NordVPN so you don't miss uh, when we play Wolves on the 24th, when we play again after Boxing Day, and again, before the end of the year there are tons of matches coming up you don't want to miss a single one the other thing to think about are you want to see, watch match of the day are you trying to see the bbc coverage sky coverage you can do it with over 5,000 servers from nordvpn so if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash london is blue you're going to go ahead and pick the plan that's right for you and we're going to give you four extra months for being a fan of london is blue that's right you get an extra four months hanging out with us we absolutely appreciate you checking them out now if you aren't using a vpn hey i hate to break it to you you're the only one not only do they keep you secure and all your information is encrypted no more ip address tracking the other thing is they've doubled down and they've added threat protection feature so say goodbye to intrusive website ads malware even if you download an infected file threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer go to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. Try it. Huge holiday deal. There's no risk. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee with NordVPN. That's how much they believe in the product. Support our sponsor, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. Go watch match today. Go watch Chelsea if you're traveling. Never going to have to worry about being tracked on the internet again. Link in the description. You know what to do. All right, Sam. So people know the drill. After we give a little bit of a setting of the table, we get into that first course and we chat about just how Gary O'Neill, how the team are really setting up, how they're playing, go through the weaknesses and kind of cover like where maybe there's some opportunity for for Chelsea to find some goodness and to get a result out of this. So in your analysis, the matches that you were watching, what have you seen in that style of play, the, the positives um, yeah, I think there's you know definitely different systems that they both deployed. I mean, I think there is some technical proficiency that we would want to talk about in terms of the where this team has maybe progressed season over season. Yeah, I think when I look at this side in terms of where they are in their progression under Gary O'Neill, I see a lot of functional aspects from Julian Lopetegui's side also. Uh, when I was watching Jules Koundé at Sevilla, there are a lot of things there that he was trying with Sevilla that I also see in, in some aspects of Wolves' play. So it's it's interesting because they've been tinkering a lot. Uh, at the beginning of the season, they tried with, you know, a four back four. So they went 4-4-2, they went 4-4-1-1, I think, against Everton. 
Then they switch to a back three, then they switch to a back four again, and then they switch to a back three again. So it's just been uh, to and fro trying to figure out which system works. I think there is some logic to to why they do that. They sometimes set up with a three-five-two if they see that you have three-man midfield. They sometimes go with a uh, with a front two if they think that your back four is vulnerable. If your CBs uh, can be isolated in in those situations, so it's it's still them trying to find out what works. And I think eventually, around you know tinkering around, they've settled on the three-four-three or a three-four-two-one. So if I were to hedge my bets, it's either this, the three-four-three, or the three-five-two, which we might come up against um, when we play them. So what essentially is constant across all these systems in terms of their principles of play is they've, you know, they're very fluid. I think they can shift between multiple shapes. So if you see how they defend against Manchester City, it's very different to how they defend against, say, Sheffield United. You will see a 5-4-1, a 5-3-2 against Manchester City, which is, again, going to a back five. But if you see it against Sheffield United, it's a 4-4-2. It's very aggressive. It's trying to win the ball a little higher up than they do they would do against Manchester City. So again, I think the managers giving them different skill sets. And I think it's also preparing on the basis of what opponent you're coming up against rather than having a plan A, which I don't know if it's very good or very bad, but um, it it hasn't worked, has worked at times. So um, yeah, so they basically have switched between a lone forward. So they've gone with Sasa Kalajic, uh, who's an extremely tall forward who offers, uh, obviously, you know, altitude. And then he's also a very good finisher. So he's been there. Matthias Cunha, who came from Atletico Madrid. So he plays sometimes in that lone forward system. They've also gone with three attackers, with one of Cunha and Kalajic. And then you've got Sarabia, Pedro Neto, and Huang basically behind him or like, you know, flanked with him in a, in a three-man system. And then they've got front two in, in a strike partnership, usually with Huang, who is the top scorer, along with Matthias Cunha. So dynamics differ in terms of what the front two are, are trying to do. But uh, again, it's it's basically, I would say, trying to figure out the easiest way to lure the opponent towards you, win the ball in the middle third, and then try to use very quick ball carriers and attackers in in the front three. What's very good about their attack is all of them tend to be very good when they're carrying the ball, uh, except Kalajic. I think uh, Cunha, Sarabia, all of these guys, when they're running at you, they can be very dangerous. So the main attacking tactic is to try and find out if they can isolate their front three against your back three. So that's going to be their main way of trying to engage against you. They did this against Manchester City, and, and they did it to devastating effect. Um, and, and they have individual talent. I would say they have, but they don't have Pedro Neto starting against us. But uh, there is individual talent for them to go 1v1 against one of your centre-backs and, and come out on top. So that's something that they, they do very well. Uh, the width, I think, is is consistent throughout. It always comes through their fullbacks or uh, their wingbacks, depending on which system they're in. So they try to stretch the pitch using those two wide guys. And they also try to play Semedo. And on the left-hand side, you've got Ryan Ignori. You've got Hugo Bueno. Basically trying to run in behind the back line and offer 
low crosses into the box for your attackers and the midfielders crash in the box. So those principles tend to remain consistent throughout. You know, it, it's always there. I think the midfield is where they're still trying to, to make up for lost quality. Um, Joao Gomes is coming from Brazil. He's just about acclimatizing to, to English football, so he isn't quite there yet, but he's he's been pretty impressive, I would say. And uh, then they've got Mario Lemina, who's obviously had a pretty journeyman career. He's played at Juve, and now he's come to the Premier League and, and uh, has got a few important goals for them. And he's done a pretty much, you know, a destroyer's job in midfield, trying to break up play and trying to be uh, their enforcer there. So it's just the side that I think is built for transitions. They tend to get their play through breaks and, and trying to get some kind of supremacy when they're breaking. I think the transitions are going to be the most difficult thing about, uh, you know, trying to win against them. If you look at their numbers, they have the second most tackles in the defensive third out of any Premier League side. So it's just trying to win the ball deep and then exploit uh, whoever's behind. So Thiago Silva, uh, and depending on who sides, who starts with him on each side, uh, have to be very careful when they're defending against the front three. I would also say, like I mentioned, the technical uh, ability is also there. So it's not quite easy for us to go and press them. It's not going to be as straightforward as what we did with Sheffield United. They are not the kind of side that clears it and then wants to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. So they will try to, you know, to play out of pressure as well. They are susceptible to be robbed and dispossessed, but they've also got the technical ability to do that, to, to create issues with, with the ball and without the ball. Uh, I would also say, if if I was looking at their strengths, apart from obviously being very good at transitions, they're good at set pieces. Uh, they've created 15 chances from free kicks, which is the highest in the league. And um, in terms of their psychological profile, I would say, interestingly, they've not had a single 2-0 lead at any point this season. And uh, they're very, very good when they go 1-0 down. So uh, they've... Every time they've gone 1-0 down, they've scored nine and they've conceded only four. And uh, they're very bad when they go 1-0 up and they've conceded four equalizers and they haven't scored a single goal. So it's an interesting side, I would say, in terms of uh, what happens when you go one up and what happens when you go one down. But I would say the, the good thing, like you, I, I said against Sheffield United, it's it's nice if you can just score twice and, and get away from the side. So... I think that kind of tactic goes well with uh, Wolves as well. Just get two quick goals, uh, keep the ball away from them, make sure you deny them space, and hopefully we'll be home dry and nice. Well, that would be good. Hopefully people home in time uh, to set a, set aside the cookies and milk and to uh, welcome uh, Santa Claus in if that, uh, if that is how they celebrate and not necessarily going home a little disappointed with the end result. You know, I... I think what's interesting is you're, you're chatting about that is what I also found interesting is, you know, I think typically you'd have looked at a wolf side and say like, oh, they're going to be a little bit more compact. They're going to try to make it super difficult and offer up a block. They're going to not want as much of the possession. And they're the all over the place that you've discussed that they are sometimes a, a team that is you know more exciting to watch and, and plays into a game but you know, particularly like the city result and then other times they are just absolutely different on the day 
there's like no consistency to like the possession related to like a, a win loss or draw that they you could draw like a correlation to like they had the one nothing win against Everton early in the season 53% possession but then there was the loss they had in the cup to Ipswich Town where they had 57% possession but they lost you know 3-2 um the win against you know City they had 32% possession of the ball but the loss to Sheffield they had 61% of the ball like it's, it's very interesting that this side is so on the day dependent. And I guess maybe as we kind of think about some of the weaknesses, did you observe any of that as you were were doing your analysis? It's an excellent point. I think you basically put it into perspective saying, I think Wolves really work when they hunt in the back. You know, I think they they essentially wake up when they they go up against bigger sides. They've had a very good result against Tottenham. Um, Like you mentioned, they got, I think, three shots against Manchester City all game with 32% possession and they managed two goals. So just very lethal, very clinical. If you get a chance to watch Pedro Neto's goal uh, against City, absolutely stunning. Just, you know, I think sums up how dangerous they can be on the break. But again, it's just been so inconsistent. When they've had the ball, it just looks like they're making wrong decisions. They aren't creating enough. So a lot of those issues. But if I were to look at it, in indiscrete points, then the first one I would like to mention is uh, Pedro Neto. Uh, he's been a massive, massive absence for them. I cannot state this enough. When I was watching the MNF um, section with O'Neill, he described Neto as, uh, in quotes, our best counter threat. And uh, he highlighted his ability to basically weave past multiple 1v1 situations and just traverse extremely good distances when when on counters. So. They're missing that. They're 100% missing somebody who I think was on board to have, you know, the kind of calling card season that takes you to to bigger moves. And the injury was just very unfortunate against Newcastle. So he's basically been out for seven weeks. Uh, It is just our fortune that it is for our game that he will be available. But we don't know, um, you know, what the extent of the availability is. I do think they will be cautious with him. They won't start him because they've got better games, I think, psychologically, which they think they can win. So it might come on 15 minutes like in Kungu, you know, just jog around a little bit, get his feet sorted out and get the jitters out and maybe look for other games. But um, he's basically had seven assists in 10 starts within this season. The rest of the team have 11 assists combined. And after he's got injured, they just haven't had the kind of creativity and the kind of thrust that that they want their forwards to have. And like you mentioned, they're par on their expected goals. So they aren't even underperforming. They're just creating and scoring level. They're, they're not you know, doing themselves any favors. So I think they're missing a lot of creativity in his absence. And even with him, they've struggled a little bit to, to emulate what a good front line would want in terms of a consistent supply line. So I think that's number one would be would be my concern. Um, the second is, I would say, related to it in terms of just the ability to generate threat consistently to make them, you know, top seven, top eight side. So if you see their non-penalty expected goals, it's the 14th worst in the league. Um, they tied 13th for big chances created with just 31 and their goal conversion, interestingly, is 11%, which is the same as Liverpool, and it's 1% below Manchester City. So we are at 9%. And 
and rules tend to convert their chances at a better rate than we. Uh, but again, 11.3 shots per 90 minutes places them 15th in the league. So it's just the underlying threat that, that if it's amped up, I think they'll score more. But they just haven't been able to raise that floor uh, to a point where they can afford to miss chances and they can get a higher return. So I think that's an issue. Um, one thing that I saw, I think, from a tactical perspective was when they did go to a 5-3-2, which I do expect they will go against us at times. Um, they did two things, which was first, they tried really hard to get Saka to draw their right central midfielder. So the the one on the wide central midfielder on the left-hand side, as well as the wing back, because Saka is so good 1v1. Uh, he was regularly drawing two players. And then when you draw those two players, you essentially lose one midfielder in that line of three. And that's the space that Odegaard went and occupied. Then when you draw the wide centre-back towards you, um, that opens up a small gap in the box for your centre-forward to go basically 1v1 with your central centre-back. So that's why Gabriel Jesus was making those runs. So if you're trying to exploit that through Sterling, who I think has enough gravity on the right-hand side to be able to, to lure two players. That's what we should try doing, especially if it's Palmer at number 10. You get him to occupy spaces that Sterling is creating just by drawing people out. And then you ask Nico Jackson to run at Dawson, who I think is the weak link. If you want to exploit somebody in this side, um, it's Dawson. He's almost 34 years old. I think he's very good in the box. He did a very good job with, with Erling Haaland earlier in the season, but that was purely down to the fact that he basically went 1v1 with Haaland, you know, man-marking inside the box. And once he's inside the box, he's in his comfort zone. But if you pull him out, if you drag him out, I think that's where the problems begin. If you go back and watch the game against West Ham, which they lost 3-0, um, the major chances just came from uh, Dawson running back from a set-piece or him struggling to step up very quickly on Kudus before shooting or Bowen before shooting. And that's what created issues. If your central centre-back cannot do it uh, in, in a zone where your other centre-backs are struggling, I think that's when problems start. So if I'm Pochettino, I'm telling my team to try and figure out solutions to basically give Dawson problems outside the box. How do you drag him out? How do you give him trouble? I think transitions, when they have a set-piece, especially when Dawson goes up, is a very good time to go and attack them. That's when they're vulnerable. So maybe a set-piece goal when we break from, you know, our own box towards their box is a possibility. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, and I think their defensive was a sort of capped up by that. They're near bottom of the clean sheets charts, which is two all season. And both those clean sheets have come against Burnley and Everton. So uh, they're also missing... Uh, possibly missing their number one goalkeeper, Jose Sa. And uh, the second goalkeeper, Bentley, I think is is got maybe two starts. So not a big sample size to judge what he can do. But, um, you know, I don't think he's as good as Petrovic. Let's just say that. So, um, yeah, maybe there's there's one thing to, to exploit there. Um, and the last thing I would say is maybe in terms of discipline, uh, they've been extremely poor. Um, they're leading the Premier League with 224 fouls, which is uh, the most. And, and um, we are in Who's second, second. Which, yes, we are, we are, I think, another 20 fouls back. So, 
yeah, so it's been bad for us. And there are two Wolves players, Semedo and Gomez, who figure in the Premier League top 10 for, for most fouls, uh, which is topped coincidentally by Conor Gallagher. Um, Mario Lemina leads the Premier League yellow charts with eight. And I think if you get him on a yellow early, especially in that central midfield where he's the guy who's doing a lot of the dirty work, then you put them under immense pressure. But uh, I think that's that's something that can be exploited. And they also lead the league for penalties conceded, if, uh, for five penalties conceded with uh, Brighton. So they're tied with Brighton there. So uh, if you want to get a couple of guys to dribble inside the box with quick feet, good time to get a penalty, especially if Cole Palmer is starting. But summed up, I think, Dan, if I've looked at all the goals they've conceded, most of them have come from transitions. A lot of them have come from them losing the ball, <clears throat> trying to play out um, and losing it in the middle third, in their own half and basically being hit on the counter. And I think they are weak because uh, most of the time they put three centre-backs and the quality there in terms of defending against quicker threats is not there. So if you want to hit them, you you have to hit them when they're trying to shift shapes. I think that's the time when they're vulnerable. And um, I think good pressing and then trying to win the ball back in those zones is probably going to be our in uh, in this game. Well, let's get in specifically to how Pochettino and the team are going to have to set up to get a result out of this one. Again, leave us with a little bit of holiday joy heading in to, you know, uh, I guess enjoying the Boxing Day fixtures of other teams. But we will do that right after this break. So stay tuned. All right, Sam. So we know that there's, again, we always start this section talking about problems for Pochettino to solve. He can't necessarily uh, touch hand to player and bring them back to fitness. So that would be an exceptional skill to have as a, a football manager. Um, we know that there are potentially new injuries to consider. We know that uh, Enzo left the game early with uh, an illness and is potentially, you know, maybe out for some period or, you know, we, we don't know what that's going to necessarily be yet. We know that the Reese James decision hasn't been made yet on what's happening with his uh, hamstring and how the club will approach that. So I think there are a lot of questions as we think about this lineup, some of them maybe are easier than others to understand. Like we know Petrovic is going to start because we know that Sanchez is out for weeks at this point. And obviously has done very well within his limited cameo that he's had a chance to to put out out there. Um, and then the Malagusta made it back earlier or made a longer cameo than maybe we thought he might get in this most recent match against Newcastle. Does that mean he gets more minutes in this match? I think that could be under consideration. And then we also saw the first appearance of uh, Christopher Nkunku. And he got, I think, maybe even a longer cameo than we thought because we were told 20 minutes and he got around 30. So thinking about all that, it feels like we actually will see a couple of changes this side, maybe even someone like Mudrik. Do you start him to give him a little bit of the reward and recognition for his contribution leading to Chelsea's result against Newcastle? I think there's a lot of interesting ways that Pochettino could set this side up to take advantage of this Wolves team. Yeah, like you mentioned, I think the biggest issue is having to fit central midfielders. We still don't know where Romeo Lavia is. We still don't know... Uh, what Ovechuku is doing in terms of his recovery. So is he ready to come back next game? Obviously, we are doing this before the conference happens. So maybe we have good news tomorrow to cheer us up. But um, having two guys there, uh, it's it's not easy. I think ideally after an intense game, 
uh, you should be managing the minutes a little more carefully, but we just don't have anybody else to bring on. So that's going to be problematic. And like you mentioned, I think the big dilemma is figuring out whether you start in Kunku after just 30 minutes. And that's going to be the biggest risk for me. I think Bot is looking at this and saying, you know, should I should I go with 60 minutes? Should I give him 60 minutes now? Or is it just play him 30 more and then bring him in against, you know, whoever we play next? I think that would be a more um, conservative side to, to go with it instead of just throwing him in, at, you know, into the deep end. And based on what happened at Leipzig, you know, he came back from a long injury and took about a month and a half, two months to get going. You know, he was struggling for rhythm. Uh, he looked like he was he was still recovering a little bit of his agility for the longest time. So it's not going to be an immediate impact anyway. I expect him to to take some time before he he gets into his groove. But we have to be patient. And I think the most important thing is managing him for the long term. So all depends on how the hierarchy sees him in terms of is he ready enough to start. But I I don't know any data there, so I will leave it to them. But yeah, like you mentioned. A lot of things to do. Uh, Gusto again, I think there could be a pretty good chance that, you know, Gusto starts this one. Uh, their main threat comes from from white stuff. So uh, they're always trying to get crosses into the box. They're always trying to get off the ball runners uh, on the flanks with their fullbacks. A lot of the times, their central midfielder, so Bellegarde, also moves wide while the wingback comes in. So... A lot of the times you have to block out those wide runners. So I think Gusto does a better job than the Sasi. Um, so there's every chance that he starts this one. So uh, it'll be interesting again to see what choices Pochettino makes. I think it's it's a grueling game that we went through. Uh, and the joys of a penalty shootout win can can also be draining. I hope they're invigorating in, in this sense. And um, we're able to basically conserve our energy well and go against the Wolves side that uh, will be looking to, uh, you know, capitalize on having a fuller energy tank. Yeah, the the midfield question, I think, is going to be very interesting. And, you know, maybe this is the solution. If you feel like you can start Christopher and Kunku, it gets him onto the pitch and you don't have to sacrifice maybe having, uh, taking Palmer off and you could play, you know, Gallagher and Caicedo as a, a pair deeper. Like that could be a, a solution that keeps some of our attacking quadrant out there uh, quartet out there which would be very interesting um the other thought is i think we know that this run of games is pretty intense you know it was going to be intense for this period for chelsea you know with the cup match thrown in there that was wolves then you get palace a couple days later then you have a Luton Town match. You've got an FA Cup match, and like that, you between now and the thirtieth, we have three more games for this team to play. So there is some level of rotation, some level of substitution, some level of load management. And I mean, like this was one of the few times in this last match against Newcastle where we saw five substitutions. It doesn't seem to be something that Pochettino has found a rhythm for yet. And I think some of that is just maybe the maybe an anticipated drop-off from going from a first-team player to an academy team player. But then you, I think you could also make an argument, well, if you just need to set a fresh legs 
and to give somebody an opportunity to to run at and try to create a little bit of chaos might be a good opportunity to get you know one of those uh, talented players from our academy in for five, 10, 15 minutes at the end of the match to maybe relieve somebody, to spell somebody effectively. But it, it does feel like that just hasn't landed. And I think we did see good substitutions in this last match, but I don't know, Sam. I think that is something that people have a question about. And, you know, I think, I don't know if it's going to necessarily be answered in this match either. Yeah, a lot of people have been sort of asking in terms of, is he making his changes right? I, I would say it's an interesting debate. But I also try to place myself in his shoes. And what I do see is a manager under extreme duress. He knows that results are paramount, like he has to win no matter what. And his bench essentially at some times just, has just looked threadbare. We are on bare bones. And if you see the bench, then you see at one point for a midfield auction, we had Leo Castellan and we had Alex Matos. And, uh, you know, people are asking why two goalkeepers and, and why my sense in it would be saying that if he's not going to bring Matos until, you know, something goes horribly wrong, then why not just cater for an emergency and get an academy goalkeeper like Bergstrom um, as as the second goalkeeper there? I mean, Pochettino, to his credit, uh, has gone through it where Harry Kane had to go in goal when he was managing Tottenham. So he has lived that nightmare. So maybe it lingers at the back of his mind saying that if I've got that many subs and I don't have enough players, then it makes sense for me to have an extra goalkeeper instead of having two academy guys out of which, you know, both of them might not play until an emergency happens. And even if an emergency happens, only one plays. So I think that's the logic behind it. But I do agree that the substitutions need to be maybe quicker. He has to he has to manage minutes better. I, I didn't quite like how Enzo was managed when Ugo Chuku was, was available. Uh, I think he those minutes could have been managed more carefully, maybe like at 60, 65, you, you could have pulled him off. That started happening after the international break. But um, I think he needs to start doing this going forward, especially now that we have only 12, 13 first-team players and you know, it's going to be a brutal run of fixtures. So if you look at that, then then my request to Pochettino would be maybe try to figure out how you're managing minutes, maybe get subs on earlier and uh, see what happens. But I think he's just he's just a little scared. He trusts his first team a lot, his 11 a lot. And the result means everything, even at 2-0. You know, one goal at the 75th minute basically gives the opposition 15 minutes to level it. So he's just maybe a little not a little, quite stressed out in terms of if I put on Matson instead of Colville or somebody else, what is the net gain? Is it a negative? In his mind, most probably, yes. So I would say it's it's hard to understand, uh, but but I empathize with it. If he's still doing these things when he has a stronger, you know, 11 plus stronger bench, then I would ask those hard questions saying, you're timing yourself wrong. Right now, I just see a little bit of panic, a little bit of too much trust in his 11. And I think um, it's hard to debate with it. It feels like it's just risk management or being risk adverse and trying to maybe not give yourself as high of a ceiling, but know that your floor doesn't dip below a certain level. And so that ultimately you have some level of predictability to the side. And I mean, we, we still found in a game against Newcastle where Chelsea were observed by the media maybe as being lucky and getting the result, had significantly more chances 
in terms of total shots, had more shots on target, and just continued to not convert. And so I feel like this is what we hear from Pochettino when he talks about the press conferences, that there is the belief that this side can go and win games very easily, but continues to make it difficult for ourselves in these situations. And so maybe that's where the in-game management and what he's saying actually do tell you exactly what he is trying to do, which is to allow it to click, knowing that we're still creating a ton of chances, we're just converting poorly, and it just takes time for a young side to get to become more reliable, more dependable, and more predictable on how they convert chances, how they work on pitch together, how they build their their build a play together, how they interchange with one another. I mean, we had, you know, uh, Mikhailo Mudrik and Malagusto on the left-hand side together for the first time. Like, that's a new thing. So, like, you know, we, we are still experiencing a lot of newness, even though we're, you know, almost halfway through a, a Premier League season now. Yeah, what's interesting is I think Poch is also trying to to sort of hone certain deficiencies in the side. Um, the one thing that I do believe still needs a lot of work, and I think he's actively trying to address it, is, like you said, what what can you create in terms of threat when you have the majority of the, of the possession? So earlier on in the season, possession against West Ham, 75%, lost 1-3. Um, against Nottingham Forest, 75% of the ball, lost 1-0. Against Brentford, 69% of the ball lost 2-0. So I think he's come up against those sides and, and has realized that maybe this young side lacks certain decision-making. He's giving them freedom to be more organic, but sometimes it's better for those guys to have a little bit of direction saying, this is what you should be doing. Sometimes it doesn't click, especially with the age profile and, and the experience especially with in terms of dynamics and, and what it's like playing with each other in the Premier League against Premier League opposition. They've not had this so far. And with the injuries we've had, obviously, those guys keep changing. So he's now essentially, I think, tried to, to figure out if he can hurt sides with that. So if you see possession before the Everton game against Newcastle 46, against Brighton 32, which we won, and against Manchester United 55, which we lost 2-1. But then against Everton, 71% of the ball lost 2-0. Against Sheffield United, I think we made a breakthrough, 78% of the ball, and we generated an expected goal of 3.1. And and the pattern there has been that we've struggled in the first half to create anything of note, but we've also been defensively sorted. I think in the past two games is when Moises Caicedo has looked at his best purely for the reason that we've controlled play better and we've prioritized structure over everything else. And the moment you do that, the moment you're more compact, the moment the lines can adjust, you know, at a comfortable pace, that's when Gallagher, that's when Caicedo get their get their best defensive acts on. And, and both of them have, I think, gone on and recorded very good recovery numbers, excellent in terms of ball-winning capabilities. But it's hurt the side in terms of creating opportunities. In, against Sheffield United, we did that in the second half. Against Newcastle, again, we struggled in the first half. We didn't give Newcastle anything except that hand-wrapped goal um, uh, from Baliashi. But Newcastle didn't touch us. I uh, didn't do anything in, in that first half at all. So Pochettino basically in the second half slowly introduced attacking changes one by one. 
and tried to see how much he could push to get that equalizer. And at the end of that game, we had so many attackers across the pitch. You know, Martin, who I think is not a fullback, is a wingback. He was there. Mudrik was still there. And Kuku was there. Proya was there. So there were like six, seven attackers there. So I think he's still trying to figure out what is the balance between possession and between creating threat. And I think Wolves offers another opportunity to test that. Um, I basically wrote down a stat saying that I think we've come up against five sides uh, who at the bottom of the possession, average possession uh, table. And we've won against each one of them except uh, Nottingham Forest. So mm. I think now that we're going up against the 14th worst side with possession, how much of the ball do you want? How much control can you exert? And how much threat can you create without relying on being open and transition-based? These are the questions Pochettino needs to answer as and when he gets the stronger squad. So thinking about those things to take advantage of, uh, apply our strengths to knowing that Pochettino is going to want you know, to continue with a strong lineup. He's going to want to take advantage of you know, this game and really that next run of fixtures against Palace and Luton as well to try to really get some upward momentum for this side in terms of their league table position. I mean, I think we can agree that Petrovic is going to start in goal. I think we're going to see Malagusto most likely start as a part of the back line. I think that we could say that, you know, it's not unlikely that you have Gallagher and Caicedo play, that you're going to get Cole Palmer playing. But then there are some questions around rotation, fitness, um, what are you thinking in terms of the back line for this game? That's a tough one. I I think Gusto comes in, although I do not know whether it's at left back or right back. I think he could he could basically be at either slot. I don't know if bringing him at left back was sort of a dress rehearsal for, for this particular game to try and figure out if he could get this RC on the right-hand side and, and maintain the level of aerial threat we have on set pieces because they, they tend to do well on set pieces. So um, I think maybe that's the thought behind Pochettino's uh, introduction of Gusto there. But either way, because they tend to create a lot of threat out wide, I expect him to start either so either side. So I think he's definitely there. Uh, Colville was pulled out for tactical reasons. He said that post game, uh, but it looks like he took it well. He said, you know, as long as it helped the team, I'm happy with it. So I'm, I'm guessing Pochettino does not want to push his luck a little too much. So maybe I would go with Levi Colville on the left, um, Padia Shield and Silva, and then on the right-hand side, Marlo Busto. I think that's what the backline looks like. But like you mentioned, in terms of minutes, anything can change. Petrovic, obviously, are only option, so he's going to be there. Um, we don't have any rotation room in midfield. I, I really don't know what he's going to do in terms of trying to figure out what midfield looks like. But um, maybe it's going to be a double pivot with Gallagher and Caicedo. And I think in terms of the front line, Jackson starts again, I'm pretty sure. It'll be Sterling, um, Palmer, and I think it'll be uh, Mudrik. I think it'll be Mudrik. And Nkuku comes out maybe on, on the half-hour mark. I would like him to start. But I think Pochettino will be careful with him. I genuinely think he may be a little bit. Yeah, I think he'll be. He knows, you know, he wants him there for the longer, longer term. So 
why not bring him on against tiring legs? Um, you know, after you've done 50, 60 transition sprints and then you've hit a brick wall, when you bring on a guy like Nkunku, then, then yeah, you're going to cause damage. So I think he'd be careful. And and I would I would respect that. Yeah, my, my only interesting thought there would be if he wanted to start in Kunku, but also apply, you know, because you know, when you look at just the amount of minutes contributed by certain players and saying, hey, if you want to try a couple of different things, do you potentially say, look, Cole Palmer, yes, he's played a lot over the last couple of matches, but his total volume for the season still below 1,000 minutes. Someone like Raheem Sterling is 1330. So his total amount of minutes that he's played, does he maybe see more rest initially to try to have him ready for the next game or to potentially be the, the cameo or the substitute appearance for the 30-minute, the you know, at the end? Like, is, is Nkunku ready for 60 minutes? And could Nkunku start and could Sterling be the person who replaces him later into the match? Um, or, you know, Mudrik be, be the individual who, you know, starts and then gets replaced by uh, Sterling later in the match. Like, I, I do think there's some interesting things if we're talking about load management as just a total volume of minutes. I know that doesn't take into necessarily the consideration of like who started and who didn't start or who finished the last match. But I, I do think that is maybe where I'm leaning towards maybe a, you know, Mudrik and you know, maybe even Nkunku starting to get him an opportunity to just get some more minutes in and knowing that you would have Sterling who could come in for, for either of them depending upon, uh, you know, Nkuku's fitness or, uh, you know, Mudrik's kind of form. Yeah, I'm looking at the Everton game because uh, that's where the rotation was done and Poch basically rotated half his side after, after a grueling match a couple of days before. Um, so if you were looking at that game, then Sterling was rested. Um, I think, yeah, Thiago Silva was rested for that one and uh, Nico Jackson was rested for that one. So um, three guys who I would say have got a rest maybe two, three games ago. And I think that's the reason why Poch would say, you know what, go for it. He also mentioned that uh, Mudrik was rested because he started four games in a row. So he came on late. And for that reason, I think there's a good chance that he starts there as well. So, you know, it might be Mudrik starting on the left-hand side. Uh, in the middle, you've got, like Cole Palmer, like you mentioned, you know, he's still got sizable minutes compared to his previous Premier League uh, minutes tally. But you know, how much can he handle and how acclimatized is he to playing every two, three days at his age? I think that's the question. So if if somebody yeah. gets rotated, maybe Palmer, maybe Palmer, but I think Sterling does play. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting debate for certain, Dan. I think both of both you and I have sat on these preview pods and said, you know, maybe this guy gets rotated and somebody else has. So it's just True. I think them going on data, figuring out who's in the red zone and and making those informed calls. I think we're just trying to figure out which one is it. And in the red zone being the uh, place where their their fitness is maybe at risk or there would be at risk for a potential injury if uh, they were to continue to play or play at the maximum. With with that kind of in mind, what are our predictions for this game? You know, we didn't get a chance to predict the Newcastle game. I think you would have been very right with your outcome if that were the case. But, you know, it's a... Christmas Eve match, a first of its kind, Chelsea against Wolves. What is your thought on what the prediction and result might be? I do see us uh, doing some damage here. I, I do see us winning. 
in terms of where Wolves are and what they do. I think it, it will be a close match. I think they do score. But uh, considering their clean sheets record and, and how bad they've looked in certain phases, plus transitions being a pretty powerful selling point for Pochettino's side, especially how good we've looked, I would say maybe it's a 3-1 for us. You know, we, we get a couple of goals. So I would I would be on the safe side and say it's it's a three one for me. Um, what about you? Is there Ooh. a certain way you see this game going? I I think I'm I'm hopeful that we can continue this trend and uh, of trying to and maybe start a trend rather would be the better way to frame it of really having some defensive dominance in the game and not making it easy for the other side to uh, find much joy or any joy. Um, I would like to see us keep a clean sheet. I think that would be uh, very exciting. I, I feel like we can get away with a, a two a two no win here. I think that there is an opportunity for us to do that. You mentioned that once, you know, a side goes up uh, against you know two goals to Wolves, they really can't recover from that. Let's go do that. Let's go score two goals. Let's make it very comfortable and let's allow you know. And maybe one of those goals is a first league goal from Christopher Nkunku. That would be wonderful. That would be a great way <laughs> to head into Christmas. That will be, yeah, like that will be, you know, Christmas for Christo. That will be superbly set, 100%. Ooh, there you but, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm setting it up for the 3-1 because they haven't scored, uh, you know, twice when they've gone behind. So I'm hoping that that's enough margin. I do think they cause us uh, issues on transition. We, we have struggled in defensive transition, but more than the result, Dan, I'm looking at what Poch does in terms of approaching the game. Is he, again, going to emphasize keeping 75% of the ball and make sure that he's controlling situations where he's able to negate Wolves' ability to to win those second balls and break at speed? Or is he just going to say, okay, you're weak at defending transitions. I'm going to try and get you to my half and run in behind using Jackson against Dawson and, and maybe like getting... Mudrik against uh, Ruben Semedo. So I think those, um, you know, those those issues that I'm looking at uh, it, it sort of like may come up trumps. So I think that's what I think will be interesting for me personally. So, yeah. And also, sorry, it's not Ruben Semedo. It's Nelson Semedo. I, I made a little yes, move, yeah. But uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's, it's 100% going to be an interesting approach for me. I think that defines... Um, maybe the long-term vision for me in terms of what Poch wants to do with this, right? If, if he's able to bring us goals while we're in control of games, then I look on to five games later, ten games later with a brighter prospect saying we can control the game state and we can dominate. Right now, we embrace the chaos and sometimes the chaos embraces us and uh, we don't want to be in that, you know, middle ground, I think. Um, that's what scares me. So uh, I'll be watching this one very keenly. Well, this is the last episode people will hear you on before uh, Christmas because we'll be back for a Crystal Palace match preview and then a Luton match preview. Uh, so uh, two more times between now and the end of the year. Any closing words before we send people out with the traditional phrase? No, Feliz Navidad. You know, have a wonderful Christmas and uh, wishing you all absolute love and joy so please enjoy it uh hope you love the board and hopefully with the coming of the new year we can bring you better bigger stuff so cheers to you all and thank you so much for listening 
That is the perfect way to put the star on top of this tree and close out this episode. So uh, again, we will be back with a Wolves match review on Christmas Eve. And we've got plenty of more pods coming out between now and the end of the year and into the start of 2024. So thanks for listening to this one. Hope you're staying safe and well. Hope you're enjoying holidays if you celebrate or if not. Um, Just enjoying life in general. But until next time, you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.